When two worlds combine, it sparks into existence a brand new life of clarity and cosmic insight. This is the truest form of alchemy. Join Becky Gregory and Hillis Pugh on Cosmic Insight only on Real Revolution Radio X. Welcome everyone to Cosmic Insights. I am Rebecca Gregory here with Hillis Pugh. Welcome to the show. And today I am deeply honored to have a very special guest with us joining today. He is Neil Donald Walsh. He has written 39 books on contemporary spirituality and its practical application in everyday life including the nine book Conversations with God series, which have been translated into 37 languages. And his latest book, The God Solution, which I'm happy uh, to share with you guys and to be discussing today, uh, published just this month in December of 2020. So Neil, it's an honor to have you on the show today. Welcome. Thank you, Willis, and thank you, Rebecca. It's lovely to be here. I'm happy to share this time with you, and uh, and I thank you for the opportunity and for the invitation. It's an honor because you are indeed our very first guest on our new show, Cosmic Insight. So I'm super excited about that. <laughs> well, it's wonderful to be wonderful to be your first guest. I hope I'm not your last. No, no, not at all. <laughs> It's just the uh, beginning of a new adventure. And so, Neil, what, as you wrote this book, as you talked about the power of pure love, it really resonated with me in how being a practitioner of energy work, being a writer as well, being a poet, being all these things, it all comes from one place. It all comes from the intent of love and putting love out there. And I like how you defined it in the book in chapter 19 to where you say, speak your truth, but soothe your words with peace. The beneficial impact that a collective embracing this new way of being would have on humanity, would have on the human race cannot, in my view, be overstated. I believe an immensely positive fallout would occur in all our endeavors and experience. So with that being said, Neil, and how you so put that eloquently, you're so really well defined, what is the truth, what is your definition, what is the purpose of the pure love? Well, let let me... um if I might have the liberty to do so, let me just back up a few steps before answering that question, because I want to precede it with just a little bit of an observation uh, of uh, the challenge that is being faced by all of humanity today, and which is the reason that I wrote this book. I'm, I'm seeing a species that doesn't appear to know how to solve its most fundamental problems. We don't seem to be able to even get along with each other, much less go through, you know, our time and space with, without creating, and I mean self-creating, uh, you know, in enormous challenges and difficulties and placing into the space violence, 
uh, both both verbal violence and sadly physical violence as well and and we we simply don't seem to know how to do something as basic as fundamental as get along much less talk about what you're talking about and and practicing uh, pure love so i wrote the book in order to see if we couldn't hone in on focus in on somehow take a really deep close look at why we are having the challenges that we're having as a, as a human race you know we've been trying to make life better on the planet for a long time. We didn't start this process a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago or a couple of years ago. We started this process of you know, our own evolution seeking to create a better life for all of us 50,000 years ago. Wow. And, and, we, and this is as far as we've gotten. This is as far as we've gotten where we have chiefs of state insulting each other and 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 we have we have racial injustice uh, in many of the countries of the world. We have economic collapse uh, that is being um, you know visited upon us because of uh, our carelessness in allowing a a virus to overtake the whole world. I mean, we we don't have to list the problems, uh, but we do I think need to begin listing the solutions which is why I wrote the book, The God Solution, because I believe that the solution, Hillis and, and Rebecca, is found in that aspect of life that I call God. But even that isn't a solution for many people because you know what the irony about that is? Eight out of 10 people, sociological surveys around the world over the past 25 years have revealed and brought us this remarkable statistics statistic Eight out of 10 people believe in a higher power of some sort. But we can't believe, uh, we, we, I'm sorry, we can't seem to agree on what that higher power is. We can't seem to agree about who and what God is, if there even is a God in the classic sense of the word, and, and what God wants, and to say nothing about how to use this higher power in a way that would benefit humanity, each of us individually and our species collectively. We can't even come to an agreement about that. Yeah. And, and, and so therein lies the problem because the, the book, The God Solution proposes a solution to that problem. It suggests that if we simply embraced and adopted a brand new definition of God, a whole new idea, if we brought a whole new idea to the game of who and what God is, and in fact, what God wants, and how to use God, if I could use that turn of phrase, how to use the, the higher power. If we brought a whole new idea into the space, maybe, just maybe, we could create a different outcome from the outcomes that we've been seeing all around us for lo, these many, many years. So, what we mean then by pure love, uh, to get back to your original question, Hillis, is pure love, in my understanding, is the actual essence, the definition of God. 
it's a brand new definition of God. Now, some people might say, oh, Neil, that's nothing new about that. We've been talking, we've been saying that God is love. We've been embroidering it on our pillows and, 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 and putting it on billboards and, and saying it in churches and synagogues and temples all across the world. God is love. That's true. We have. Marianne Williamson wrote a wonderful book called Return to Love. And so there's no question that we have been saying that God is love for a long time. But what we haven't been saying is that God is pure love. And I insist on putting those two words together, love and pure. God is pure love because there's a difference between pure love and the kind of love that most human beings express and experience in their lives. Most human beings, not, not all of us, but most human beings, when they express love, they do it as a means, whether they're doing it consciously or unconsciously, but as a means and with the hope of getting something in return. Mm -hmm. When we say, you know, I love you, we certainly hope the other person across the room will say, well, you know, I love you too, and will treat us with the kind of love that we are sending to them. It's we think that love is a reciprocal arrangement, you know, a, a quid pro quo. You know, I, I give and I receive and, and this is uh, how it works. But what pure love is about is extending the kind of love that asks for, requests, needs, expects, and demands nothing in return. And when we say that God is pure love, our brand new definition of God, a two-word definition, we're saying that a lot more than God is love, we're saying that God is the kind of love that requires, demands, expects, hopes for, asks for, and needs nothing in return. Now that, my dear friends, is theologically revolutionary because virtually every major religion on the planet tells us exactly the opposite. The religions of the earth are saying, no, 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 Neil, you don't understand. God does require, demand, expect, and ask for something in return for God's love. So if we want to receive God's love and you know God's reward when we die and go back to, presumably go back to heaven, if, if we want to receive the reward of God, in the form of God's love in the afterlife, we must obey God's commandments and do as God wishes, not just wishes, but requires uh, us to do. And in some cases, believe it or not, there are those who believe, and I'm not talking about a small number of people, I'm talking about several billion people who believe, Neil, Neil it's like this. I hate to tell you this, but it's like this. You must belong to this particular religion. It really doesn't matter if you're a kind person or a caring person or a compassionate person or a deeply understanding person or an easily forgiving person or a wonderfully generous person or kind. And it, it doesn't matter. Those things don't matter. You could be all those things. You could be all of those wonderful things and still go to hell because I'm sorry, but you, you chose the wrong religion. You, you made the wrong choice. And so God says, 
you're going straight to hell where you'll suffer everlasting damnation because you didn't come to me as wonderful a person as you are, but you didn't come to me through the right door. And I need you. And I demand that you come through me. I should say, come to me through the right door. Now, that's the God that we believe in. And because we believe in that God, we have modeled that behavior on earth. That is, we have a habit of saying, well, if it's good enough for God, it's good enough for us. So that's how I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you the same way. If you come to me through the right door, I mean, if you're a conservative you know, or a liberal or, or a, a man or a woman, or if you're straight or if you're gay, or if you're you know, a, a foreigner and, and, and don't belong to this, to this country, or if there's any difference between you and me at all, then you're not coming to me through the right door. I don't know what we can do about that, but you know, I, I can't love you because you, can't, you came from across the border. And we're gonna put up walls. We're gonna see how high a wall we can build between our countries because we're sick and tired of you people, you people coming into our country. And that's how we treat each other. And, and, we, and we think it's the right way to be, by the way, because we imagine that this is how God treats us. And we're modeling our behavior on what we presume to be God's behavior. And so because God is reputed to be a, uh, an entity which punishes us, if we do the wrong thing and even belong to the wrong religion, we do something quite extraordinary. We punish each other in many ways that are almost unbelievable. To give you one example, one example, it would be, we actually kill people in many countries on this planet mm -hmm. in order to teach people not to kill people. So we actually say to people, you know what? Killing people is not okay. And to prove that it's not okay, we're gonna kill you because you did it to somebody else. So we use the energy that created the problem to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. We're using anger to solve anger. We're using killing to solve killing, violence to end violence. And, and, and we don't even see the contradiction because we have refused to embrace the God solution, which asks an extraordinary question. What would happen? What would happen if we decided to model our behavior on the example of a God who needs, requires, hopes for, and demands nothing from us in return for God's love. We can't even imagine such a God. It's so revolutionary that I am called an apostate, a blasphemer for even suggesting it. <laughs> Yeah, and it's typically, you know, when we always go against the grain or something, when we go against the ideas of mainstream or when we go against, you know, the beliefs that we grew up knowing, it, it, we are often called out on it. But it's what it's our beliefs that make us who we are. And I know, Rebecca, I know you have uh, something in relation to that that you uh, want to mention and bring up. Oh, I had a couple of things. First of all, just what you just said is just like, oh my gosh, I just realized I'm not alone because I've always thought that way, exactly just what you said uh, in that God, that we should be that way in that pure love. I've never understood growing up in the Catholic church. Um, I never understood 
the ways of how they did things and all that about God is going to make you suffer. I never, that just never resonated inside of my heart and my soul. You know, Rebecca, I grew up uh, in the Catholic church as well. Let me interrupt you. Please forgive me for the oh, interruption, yeah, but, I, but I, I want to just bring a good example of what you're saying into the conversation. When I was a child, you know, I was seven or eight years old, like you, going to a Catholic school and, and learning all about God through the Catholic of faith. And by the way, I'm not a Catholic basher. I want to, I want to make a point oh, about that. You know, I, I, I think that all the world's great religions contain wonderful yeah. wisdom, wonderful insights. They're simply incomplete. They yeah. simply don't have the whole story. But here's what I remember being told when I was seven or eight years old. And I was desperately trying to figure it out. I, used to, I, I raised my hand in catechism class. I dared to raise my hand after the priest was teaching the children, you know, the, the, the Catholic uh, dogma and the doctrine. And I said, Father, um, Father, what happens to a little, what about a little baby? What about a little you know, two month old or six month old baby, you know, who hasn't even had a chance to make a choice about what religion she wants to belong to? I mean, she's, she's three months old. I mean, would she not go to heaven? Uh, because she didn't become a Catholic. And the priest said to me, well, my child, it would depend. If the child was not baptized, no, it would not go to heaven. The child would have to be baptized. And so the Catholic Church used fear of God, that God would not even accept a three-month-old baby into heaven if it wasn't baptized, if, if a certain ritual wasn't performed. So I said, I said to the priest, well, Father, maybe I don't understand. I'm only, I'm only eight here, eight years old. Where does the baby go? If it doesn't go to, if it does, does it go to hell? No, well, no, no, my child, it wouldn't go to hell. Oh, purgatory? No, 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 my child, it wouldn't go to purgatory. Well, where would it go? All together now, limbo. Limbo. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, excuse me, the baby would go where? I'm eight years old. Yeah. And the priest says, well, limbo, my child. It's, it's not heaven, it's not hell. It's just a place where you're like, you're, you know, in, you're just in limbo. You're neither this nor that. You can't enjoy or experience the wonder of divinity, but you're just kind of in this place called limbo. It was only a few years ago, I'm happy to say, finally, after many, many, many hundreds of years, a few years ago, the Pope finally declared in an encyclical a few uh, years ago mm -hmm. that limbo, the teaching of limbo, was actually a mistake, that, that there's no such place as limbo, exactly. that limbo doesn't exist. Finally, <laughs> after hundreds of years of teaching all about this place called limbo, because I was made to understand that God wouldn't even accept a three-month-old soul back to heaven if it should happen to, you know, to have a die, to, or maybe die in childbirth. Because it, it limbo didn't even answer that question. What yeah. if a child dies in childbirth? <laughs> no, no, it couldn't be baptized if it wanted to be. Yeah. You know, how do you deal with that? And the priest yeah. didn't like me for as, asking questions like that. I, well, had similar, son, I had a son. similar story around baptism with my sister. She was going to get baptized. I'll never forget this. And I just remember when you were saying that, that I just didn't believe what was happening. And, and, and I literally ran and hid in the closet. And I would not go. And I remember my mom coming in because I was just so against. It's like, this doesn't make sense. But the question I had. So, so, but I have a piercing question to ask you. Since then, have you come out of the closet? 
<laughs> I have come out of the closet, but my mom keeps on putting me back in because she still has her way, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I did have an interesting question that was coming up as you were talking about everything and in the God solution that you wrote around. And, you know, do you feel like maybe it, it, it's based on the understanding of our separation of the pure love that we are born with? in our hearts and in our souls when we're born that is taken away by society that has, has taken itself away from the pure love that we truly should exist from. Well, there's no question. Of course, that's the problem. You know, you, you, you've named it exactly. You've described it perfectly. We're born as demonstrations mm -hmm. of pure love. And yes. then we have it driven out of us by a culture that can't accept the possibility that the highest power in the universe needs, requires, and demands nothing. Yes. And so, and so because we live in that culture, we are raised to believe that we will be loved and accepted if we do what we are told to do, what we are commanded to do, and what we are required to do. And that's the culture in which we live. And that culture, by the way, permeates that is, it runs through all of humanity's interactions, not just spiritually, mm -hmm. economically, everywhere, politically, so, so, socially, every, every way that we interact with each other surrounds itself with the idea of conditional acceptance and conditional love. Mm -hmm. Now, you take that off the table, if we decide one day miraculously that conditions are no longer required for you to receive love from me, and for me to act with that ethic yes. in my politics, in my, in my economics, in my social interactions with you, you know, in, in all the ways that we interact together as human beings on this planet, it, everything would change overnight. I mean, you, we would literally have a different world overnight. That's why I call it the God solution. And in the book, I describe how we can actually use the mechanisms of, me of metaphysics, how we can actually use that power as we apply it in, in our everyday interactions with others. Yes, and I know that in, you talk about the mechanisms uh, that we can employ and gratitude being one of them. And you kind of describe gratitude as this secret sauce in the book. And so can you expand a little bit about that and how gratitude is a decision that people make and how it is the secret sauce. Well, you know, uh, gratitude is an energy. Everything is an energy. All of life is energetic. All of life is simply an expression of the fundamental energy of life. So gratitude is energy in a particular form. It can be, it's a form that can be actually be felt. And so, and what's interesting about gratitude is that it's something that we can call forth, that, that we can create within us, that we can decide upon. I want to say that gratitude is a decision, not simply a reaction in the mind and heart of the spiritual master. So the spiritual master is not simply reacting to something that happens. She is determining ahead of time and deciding in the moment to express gratitude for all that is currently being presented 
in life, for all that is arising in the moment. And so every great spiritual teacher has told us, each in their own words, raise not your fist to heaven and curse the darkness not, but be a light unto the darkness that you might know who you really are. And that all those whose lives you touch might know who they really are as well. And the way to move into that experience that's described in those words is through the avenue of gratitude. That to allow ourselves to be thankful for all that is arising. Yes, even that which, with which we disagree. Even if we don't fundamentally approve of what is occurring, we can even find a way to be grateful for it in the sense that thank you for allowing this to arise within my personal experience so that I can use this moment to demonstrate, to announce, to declare, to fulfill, to express, and to experience who I really am. So, again, all the great spiritual masters through the centuries have told us, judge not and neither condemn. But in fact, bless, bless, bless your enemies and pray for those who persecute you and choose to use every moment of your life as an opportunity to employ the God solution. And the God solution in a simple sentence is this. Allow yourself to bring forth the feeling that you believe God would have in this moment right now, regardless of what is arising. Now, getting back to what I said earlier, if the feeling you think God would have is judgment and condemnation, we got a problem. But if you're clear that the feeling that God would have would be a feeling of simple, pure love, then the world would change and you individually would change overnight because you've chosen to employ the God solution. Let me give you a simple example of that because some people say, Neil, that's all very lovely. It's all very well and good. But the average person, you know, come on, we're all human here. We can't really express that level of love. But I'm gonna to suggest to you that we do. We do in fact have that capability. To give you one or two examples, speaking of a three-year-old baby or a three-month-old baby, if you're holding a three-month-old baby in your arms and if you've if you've had the good fortune of doing that at least once in your life, most adults at least once in their life, maybe their own child, maybe the child of another, the child of a friend, but hopefully you've had a chance at least once in your life to hold a baby in your arms. And if you've ever held a baby in your arms, you look at that pure demonstration of perfection. And now let us say, just for the sake of discussion, that while you're holding that lovely baby in your arms, he has a little biological accident. What do you say to the baby? What is your reaction? Yeah, exactly. But but to, to get back to <laughs> to get back to the point, we don't forgive a baby any more than God forgives us. I love it when I'm invited to talk in churches because the first thing I say from the pulpit is, my dear friends. I came here today to tell you that God will never forgive you for anything. And the place goes crazy. They can't, they, 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 don't, they don't know where to go with that. 
And I say, you know, God doesn't forgive you for anything because God has no need to forgive you any more than you have a need to forgive a three-month-old baby or a six-year-old child. The other example I like to use, and I use it in every one of my lectures, your grandpa. Mm -hmm. And it's your six-year-old granddaughter's birthday. It's her birthday party. And mom has worked out a cake and she's brought in all the children from the neighborhood and all the kids are around the table and mom has poured a glass of milk for all the children and brings out the chocolate cake and your six-year-old granddaughter, oh, mommy, mommy made my favorite cake, my favorite cake, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. And she's so happy. She's so excited. She reaches for the cake and knocks over her glass of milk. And the table is awash with milk. And grandpa looks at the, ba- at the, at the six-year-old granddaughter and says, go to your room. Go to your room. You should know better. What's the matter with you? Go to your room and don't come out for the rest of the summer. I'll teach you to, to be so careless, to make such a silly mistake. No. And that's not what a grandpa does. Grandpa says to the six-year-old child, I forgive you. No. Grandpa doesn't even do that because grandpa is smart enough to understand forgiveness is not part of the equation. The child simply made a mistake. So what does the child do? In the moment of the child's devastation, the grandpa embraces the child and brings the child even closer to him and says, I love you. Mm -hmm. It's okay, sweetheart, don't cry. I love you. Do you think that grandpa is a nicer person than God? Or is it possible that God would say the same thing to his children? I love you, no matter what mistake you make, even though you may think you should have known better. So can we believe in a God who's as nice as grandpa? Let that be the question for the day. That's a beautiful question. And that is... Amazing question. <laughs> and, and, you know, when just hearing you saying that is bringing me to, to tears, I'm trying to hold back my tears. But uh, what Rebecca and I, we had a really interesting conversation yesterday about this very thing about how you talk about uh, God doesn't forgive. And I had to read it a few times just to really embody that. And how forgiveness is only uh, an obstacle, so to speak. It's the biggest obstacle to spiritual growth in the world. I say to people everywhere I go, forgiveness is the biggest obstacle to spiritual growth. Because in order for you to believe that you need to forgive somebody, or even yourself for that matter, you have to believe that somehow you've been injured, damaged, hurt, Mm-hmm. or, you know, negatively impacted in some way. But if you really are embracing your true identity, that is, if you are really embracing your true self as an expression and an individuation of divinity, it would be clear to you that you can't be hurt, damaged, upset, or injured in any way, any more than God can be. You can't injure God. You can't anger God. You can't upset God. You you, you can't disappoint God. You can't frustrate God. Because for the simple reason that God has no particular outcome that she demands or expects from you. 
Yeah. He has nothing of the sort. That's not his agenda. Yeah. And so, and so we, uh, when we understand that, we approach other people in exactly the same way. And as we would do with a three-month-old baby who had a little biological accident, or a six-year-old granddaughter who, in her excitement, reached for the cake and spilled the milk. You know, we didn't, that saying didn't come up out of nowhere. There's no use crying over spilled milk. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. We, 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 when, we, when we are uh, about who we really are, when we come to our senses, we realize that understanding replaces forgiveness in the mind of the master. Write that on your bathroom mirror. Understanding replaces forgiveness in the mind of the master. And carry that with you for the remainder of the days of your life and watch your life change. Yes, and I've been carrying that. Go ahead. I will say that's so true too. I like to, I, I coined a phrase a, a while ago, um, which is kind of around the same concept, forgetness, um, where you forget the pain and suffering that we hold in our souls and in our body that we don't have to live from that space that we live from the love within. I couldn't agree more, of course. And that's the God yeah. solution. And, and I had another question around that and the God solution in, in the story about your mother in the bays. Uh, you broke the bays, um, the one story you had. What came to me when I was reading that was do we look upon like when that situation happened to you and you broke the ways and how your mom responded in that space of love, uh, that do we as humans, because we want to be in the pure love, we want to be in God's solution deep down in the roots of us and see upon others when they are in that space of pure love that we acquire that and do things and make actions to kind of get that when we see it within someone else. Does, does that make sense? Was there a question there? Yeah, it was kind of a question understanding. Do you agree like that we look on our outside for the pure love of actions we create, what we do in the world that might not be the best actions, even if like somebody murders someone in that space, they might've felt they were in pure love because that was the love they, whatever their situation they had, they looked at in that and that other people might take actions around that in that seeing that pure love in someone else of wanting that within their soul. Yes, that's a very deep understanding, and it's, it, on the surface of it, it would seem to defy logic. But I think you're perfectly correct. And conversations with God said something quite astonishing that relates exactly to what you just said. You may recall that in conversations with God, the following sentence appears: Hitler went to heaven. Mm -hmm. And when I saw that, when that appeared in the dialogue. It stopped me cold, stopped me in my tracks. Now, wait a minute, Neil, 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 you're carrying this too far. Or God, 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 you're carrying this too far. We get the basic principle of love and do your best and all the rest. But I mean, come on, Hitler went to heaven? And so it really challenges us, just as the statement you just made a minute ago, challenges us at the deepest level. Is it possible for us to understand how a person could do what he did. And of course, in conversations with God, an interesting statement is made. It's not nearly so tragic that a man like Hitler came along as it is that so many millions of people went along. Exactly. 
Yeah. So where does the fault lie? If a man stands up at a stadium with 200,000 people and they're all cheering on his insanity, mm -hmm. where does the insanity lie? In exactly. the one person in the front of the room or in everyone else who's raising their fist and is saying yes mm -hmm. to his insanity. So let that be our question for the day. Is there room in God's heart? Is there room in God's kingdom? Even for a person who thought, this is of course the point, mm -hmm. who thought that he was doing right, whether he was doing right by a common measure is not the point. The, the man called Hitler, or to use the example you raised a minute ago, the person who actually murders somebody, they thought they were doing it for a good reason. When you talk to a terrorist, the terrorists who, you know, the 9-11 terrorists or the terrorists who fly airplanes into buildings elsewhere, when you, when you talk to people and ask them, why would you do such a thing? You find out much to your astonishment, they thought they were doing what was right, mm -hmm. given what they loved and what they thought they were trying to protect. So what we have here is a massive misunderstanding because we are all acting like children. Yeah. And so, you know, it also brings up to mind to something that we mentioned a moment ago about spiritual mastery. And one of the things that you talk about is the connection to the soul in the book. And one of the things that I want to ask you is that uh, when one steps into the soul, does one lose the connection to emotions or is changing to choose the emotions to express? You know, because, you know, there's a time when people, when, when we step into uh, a connection with our higher self, our God self, that what used to trigger us don't trigger us anymore that we come to this new space of awareness this new space of expression this new space of emotion or emotionless and step into a more space of compassion well we step into a new decision i like what you said a moment ago is this a reaction or a decision is it a reaction that is a re hyphen action acting like we did before. Mm -hmm. So we are reacting or reenacting a previous decision. Or are we acting in a new way for the first time in this moment? Are we making a different decision? See, there's really only one decision that, that each moment in life invites us to make. It's a simple decision, but there's only one really question. People think there are a lot of questions in life. You know, but there's really only one fundamental question in life. Who am I? Who am I? And as a derivative of that question, who do I choose to be? Who do I choose to be now in relation to all that's occurring, to all that's arising? Every great spiritual master, whether we're talking about Buddha or Jesus, Muhammad, Moses, male and female through the years, all the great spiritual masters have simply used their life to demonstrate their answer to that simple question. Mm -hmm. Who do I choose to be in response to what is now arising? 
And when we make the highest choice we could possibly imagine, when we choose to be divinity expressed and experienced in us, through us, and as us, we change ourselves, but be careful because we may also change the world. I could, of course, be wrong about all of this, <laughs> but I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. I mean, I give it two thumbs up on that one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I think it just speaks to the direction that we are going in uh, on the planet. And you talk about uh, the, I forget what it's called, but you talk about the three steps in spirituality, relationship, and economics in the book. And how do we get there? And so the question that came to my mind when I read that was, do you feel in present world conditions and current events that do you foresee us living in this utopian society? I don't, I don't foresee it in the next two weeks or the next two months or the next two years, <laughs> but, but do I see it as possible? Uh, in our lifetime or in the lifetime of our children and our children's children? Is, is, do I see it as the direction in which humanity is moving? Yes. And do I think we have to move so slowly and drag our feet so awfully that it takes us centuries and centuries more to get there? No, I don't. Here's what I think is happening. I think humanity actually is evolving. And I think that we are evolving at an exponential rate. What I mean by that is we're not evolving at a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight rate. We are evolving at a two, four, eight, 16, 32 rate. That is, we are evolving exponentially. Therefore, I believe that as our awareness and as our consciousness expands, which it is doing exponentially, thanks to, by the way, moments just like this, thanks to programs just like what you're doing right here, right now, for those who are watching your presentation in this moment, which was not possible even a few years ago. This is what I mean by exponential expansion of evolution. Even a few years ago, what we're now experiencing in this moment would have been utterly impossible. It, it couldn't happen. But because of the advances we've made in technology, in information transfer, and in the expansion of our consciousness generally speaking around the world, because of all that, we are making extraordinary movement into a brand new and extraordinary future. So I think that's what's occurring right now. And the decision for each of us is, what role, if any, do I choose to play in that process? Do I wanna be a bystander watching the parade go by? Or do I wanna be at the head of the parade, at, at the front of the parade, leading the parade, and becoming a true leader. By the way, let me tell you what a leader is. A leader is not one who says, follow me, follow me. It's all about me, follow me. A leader is not one who says, follow me. A leader is one who says, I'll go first. Beautiful. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. There are so, so many beautiful expressions throughout this book. I mean, and I beg anyone who haven't watched me say beg, but 
anyone who reads this will definitely have a lot of moments of self-reflection to allow them to really step into a new self, a higher self, the God self, if you will. You know, Rebecca, you was doing a little preparation this morning before we got on the call. <laughs> and there was a significant connection that you made uh, with uh, your preparation this morning and for us being on video now. Oh, yeah. So I, I enjoy drawing oracle cards. It's something I enjoy ever doing. I drew some cards uh, beforehand. And uh, just about the show today, it, it's kind of, I'm, I'm listening to the cards that came up and everything's coming up, but that's play. But one of the main cards that came up is, um, and talking about when you were talking about your ideal heroes and someone who's dear to my heart, who I've followed and, and read her book, Mirror of the Souls, um, Margaret Poirier back from the 13th century, who said, love is divine and I am nothing except love. Uh, it's kind of in connection to this book, you know, the pure love, back in the 13th century, she was kind of speaking of what this is now in a different way, in a different format, but connecting today, I uh, just wanted to bring, and she was basically killed by the, by the Catholic church. And, um, but it was very interesting though, her book went underground and surfaced again in 1944, I think. So it never died. It still stayed alive, hidden in the shadows and came forth again. And so anyway, I just thought that was an interesting connection talking about that love divine and, and being the love within and the love of God. And so anyway. Everyone, everyone has been saying the same thing for many, many, many centuries. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, but, but I think that the point that uh, Hillis is making uh, is that uh, we're now moving forward with that information more rapidly. You know, you know we've been for, for a long time, we've been like little children. That is, you know, we're like, like little children, let me give you an example, to use a metaphor. We're like children who have learned how to add and subtract. Wow, we learned addition and we learned subtraction. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> and we think that's all there is to mathematics. Because we've learned the elements, we've learned the essentials, we've learned how to add and subtract. But we think that's all there is to mathematics. But of course, as we grow, and mature, we see that there's a great deal more. There's multiplication, there's long division, and there's higher math, higher forms of mathematics we never even dreamt of, and higher applications of mathematics. It's the same way with our theological understandings. We think that because we understand that God is love, human kind of love, that we have all there is to know on this subject. But I've been going around the world for the past 25 years asking an interesting question. Is it possible, just possible, that there's something we don't fully understand here about God, about life, mm -hmm. and about ourselves, the understanding of which would change everything? And if we can imagine that maybe that's possible, maybe we don't have all the answers. Maybe we've been given a great many answers in all the world's great holy scriptures, but maybe there's a little bit of data that's still out, missing data. One day I'm gonna write a book called The Missing Data. And, and, add, and to add to that, 
is it also just remembering the truth of who we truly are? Which is the missing data. Because we we can't accept that truth. Mm -hmm. We've been told it, you know, Rebecca, as you you pointed out, for, for, for many, many, many decades, many, many centuries, we've been given that information about who we really are. But we haven't been able to accept it because our culture has told us not to accept it. Don't you dare imagine that you are even anything close to divinity. If you would even say such a thing, you're a blasphemer, you're an apostate, you, 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 you speak heresy, you're a heretic. You can't compare yourself to God, which is sad because God invites us to compare ourselves to that which is divine since that is in fact exactly what we are. Yes, we are. So do you think the world is ready for pure love? I, I think, I, yes, evolution. yeah, I do, th- I do think it's, I, I do think it's ready. I think that the human race is losing patience with itself. And I think that this experience with the worldwide pandemic mm-hmm. and, and the global economic uh, collapse that's followed in the wake of that. And I think that the world's recognition suddenly really, truly, not only recognizing, but acknowledging the racial injustice that we've seen in countries all across the globe and, and all of the other injustices as well. I mean, can you imagine an entire society, just to give you an example, that would not let people drive a car because they did not have a penis? If you were a woman, yeah. you could not, you were not allowed to drive a car because you're a woman. Much less, you know, go to the wailing wall. Or, or, or go to the synagogue in certain places and or join you know, men because men, of course, are the superior gender. Now, there's no question about that. I, I understand that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> but you know what? We've created this society of separation where we mm-hmm. imagine ourselves to be better than the next one because of the color of their skin or the sexual reality in which they live or the political philosophy they've embraced or the nationality, as I mentioned a while ago, that they happen to be born into. I mean, so the answer is yes, we are ready now. I think the human race has lost patience with itself. We are finally able because of our ability to communicate widely and instantaneously, we are finally able to see what we're doing to ourselves. And we're able to say to each other, excuse me, but stop it. Yeah. I mean, stop it. Yeah. I like that. And it brings up a very important thing that a lot of religious teachings talk about a lot of spiritual masters and teachers talk about and something that you mentioned in this book, but you take it to another level and it is the golden rule versus the gold standard. So what is the golden rule? Well, we all know what the golden rule is, but what is the gold standard that you talk about in the book? Well, 
Well, the platinum rule, see, there was a gentleman who came up with what he called the platinum rule. He says, because platinum is even more valuable than gold. The golden rule, of course, is do unto others uh, as you would have them do unto you. And that's the golden rule, which nobody obeys. I mean, most people uh, in the planet, the largest number of people don't even obey the golden rule. So for, we, went, we might as well just set it aside. But this gentleman came up with what he called the platinum rule. Do unto others as they would have it done unto them. Ooh. Wow. What an interesting thought. Yes. And so the God solution invites us to ask a simple question. If we're talking about pure love being the demonstration of divinity, then let's ask this simple question before every choice, every decision, every action, every word that we speak, and even before every thought that we think, ask the following question. Does this feel like pure love? When we send a man to the electric chair and send 50,000 volts of electricity through his body in punishment for what he has done, does this feel like pure love? When we tell a couple we cannot give you a marriage license and we refuse to allow you to be married because you're the same sex. Does this feel like pure love? When we say to a person, I'm sorry, we can't rent you that apartment. We can't rent you that house because you're the wrong color. Does that feel like pure love? When we say to a person, no, actually, actually you can't drive a car because you're a woman. Does that feel like pure love? Or when we say to each other, the things we say to each other, across the kitchen, across the street, around the block, when we interact with each other in a daily way, do we ask ourselves that question? Does this feel like pure love? And, and it works, by the way. That's a magic question because it really works. The other, just, just the other day, I was having a little bit of a tiff with my beloved wife. It happens. You're married. You're living together 24-7. There's going to be a moment that comes up every now and then. Hopefully not many, but every so often. Maybe I got out of bed the wrong side of bed that morning. I wasn't in the greatest mood. Didn't get a good night's sleep. Whatever. And so my wife and I were just kind of going at it a little bit. Not a major big deal, but just a little bit of an antagonism across the room. And I was adding to it by everything that I was saying and you know, my, my need to defend myself. Because of course, it is a given, we, we, this we know. I am right in everything that I think, say, and do in every moment of my life. It's impossible for me to be wrong. And you should know that if you ever get into an argument with me, just start off understanding that I am right. But, 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 my, wife, but, but, but my wife didn't, didn't start off with that understanding. So I was you know, working for the next 15 minutes trying to get her to understand how right I am and how wrong she is. But somewhere in the middle of it, it's a human moment. It happens to all of us. Well, it doesn't happen to Hillis, but it happens to the rest of us now and then. <laughs> and, and so, but somewhere in the middle of this, I remembered the magic question. Mm -hmm. And I looked at her and I said to myself in my head, does this feel like pure love? And of course the answer was self-apparent. 
obviously not. So I was able to get up from the kitchen counter to walk around to where she was in the larger part of the kitchen and to hold her arms and say, sweetheart, I'm sorry. I forgot who I am. Beautiful. And I forgot who you are. And I forgot who we are together. It was a slip, a slip up. I'm sorry, it's not my best stuff. Can you understand? I'm not even gonna ask you to forgive me. Can you simply understand? Wow. And she looked at me, my sweet wife looked at me as a tear came down her eyes. And she said, Neil, as you know, I've been with a few men in my life, but never anyone who said anything like that to me. And so we get to ask ourselves this question. Does this feel like pure love? And here's another thought that I'm going to invite you before we say goodbye. To say to yourself, whenever you're encountering any other person, not just in a moment when things aren't going well, but whenever you encounter any other person, whether it's the person across the pillow or the person across the room, or the person across the counter at the store, or the guy at the post office, the clerk at the post office. I invite you to think this thought. Don't say it out loud because most people won't understand, but think this thought in your head. I dare you, dare you, dare you, double dare you, to think this thought when you encounter any other person. I have come that you may have a life and that you may have it more abundantly and your life will be made better because I passed through it this day. Mm. I promise you. You try that for 90 days. I am. And yeah. watch your life change. I'm I could. I could, of course, be wrong about all of this. But you're not. <laughs> but I don't think so. Wow. And that is what I call, that is what I call, to put a, to put a button on it, the God solution. Yeah. That's a giant button. I mean, I am so touched, so moved, all these things um, by the wisdom and knowing your story and simply amazed by your humbleness and you gracing us with um, you just being you and, and, and I honor your presence and you gracing us with your presence this day. It has been a magical moment, a uh, long time coming, because uh, I have been and continue to be one of your leaders. But yes, so I thank you, Neil. Well, you're saying, Hillis, some very generous and very sweet things to me, most of them undeserved, but I'm going to accept them, I'm going to embrace them. I'm going to let myself see them as the model 
into which I would like to step, the way I would like to be more often, and to be the roadmap to where I'm going. So thank you for those very sweet and generous words. And it was lovely to be here with you guys, both of you, Rebecca and Hillis. And uh, thank you for the invitation and the opportunity to share some ideas uh, that I want to add to the mix as our species moves forward. I really mean it when I say things like, I could be wrong. I, I don't imagine myself to have all the answers for everybody or to have any answers for anybody. I could be wrong about all of this. But what I invite my audiences to do is, you know what, try it out. See how it works. It may not work for you. Just give it a try. It can't be any worse than what we're now doing on the planet. My life has only one way to go. In my life, that's the only way I can go is up because I've come from a place that was pretty dark in the earlier days of my life. I don't think I was a good person. In fact, I know I wasn't. And I hurt a lot of people. But you know, it's a long journey home. But we get there eventually. And we are remembered when we get there. My wife wrote a poem about this, which I'm gonna share with you before we say goodbye, because my wife is a published poet. And yes. she, wrote, she wrote this poem, if you'll permit me, called Long at Sea. Catch the nuance of this poem. Hillis, you're gonna love this. So will you, Rebecca. My wife wrote these words. I left home so long ago now that I would not recognize my own face. I constructed the boat of my life and I set out into the open sea, waving to all who knew that the seas would give me everything I could handle and everything I could not. And yet they waved and I set out into the open sea in the boat of my life, built from soul, crafted by heart. And with great innocence, I pushed off into the open sea and have been away from my home so long now that I would not recognize my own face. But I know that home, home remembers me. Mm. Mm. Beautiful. Love those words. And it is so true. Yes. Um, I take a deep breath and breathe that one in. And yeah. uh, Neil, I want to thank you so much for being here today. Um, and my pure heart of love sees your pure heart of love. So thank you. Thank you. By the way, for those of you who are curious, my wife's name is M. Claire. C-L-A-I-R-E, M. Claire. She's a published poet and you'll find her work in bookstores everywhere. And real quick before we go, where we people to find your book or did you want to get any information on well, who you are but well um, I, know, I know i know it can be uh, 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 obtained at amazon where almost every book in the world can be obtained cover to his book behind me well some yeah. of it that's the, the god solution the power, the of, pure power love. of pure love there we go yeah. <laughs> so and you know what i i i'm also offering it online on my facebook page every uh, week we publish excerpts from it and I, my intention is to publish every single line of the book on my Facebook page so people are coming there and reading the book at no cost whatsoever so you know the, it's not about earning more income from the book I'm offering the book at no cost whatsoever uh, on my Facebook page but if you'd like to have your own copy for your own safekeeping 
Uh, and you can grab it, grab a copy at uh, Amazon. Uh, thank you so much. You're just such an ideal hero. Yes. Well, you guys are, are I'm going to blush here. So thank you very much for all the nice things you're saying to me. And we're all doing, you know, the best we can in any given moment. And that's true of all of us. So thank you for the chance to be here with you two who have had the vision and the courage to put even such a presentation presentation like this, to put this all together. Nice work. Oh, thank thank you. you so much. Such thank an you. honor. And it would be an honor for you to, when your schedule permits, to have you back on to talk about other worldly things. Be careful, because if you invite me back, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> we'll consider it. Uh, done because we will be asking you back. Um, so everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Cosmic Insight with me, Ellis Pugh. And Rebecca Gregory with our beautiful guest this evening, Neil Donna Walsh. And next week we will have uh, Mitchell Osborne on, who's an animal communicator. So we'll do some fun talking to the animals. So join us next, next week as well. So thank you so much, everyone, for joining us for this amazing, amazing show, The God Solution. <laughs>